Welcome listeners, this is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And this is Richard Ceballos, your easygoing yet engaging co-host all the way from the Silicon Valley slash San Francisco area. We are a podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world where they share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Also, we like to dissect stories of success and reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining your business. Today, we bring you two exciting entrepreneurs, Israel Hernandez, the co-founder of and CEO of Dinerazo, and Aaron Chavez, who you all know from uh, last episode, CFO and co-founder of Dinerazo. So Dinerazo is a financial education platform that provides personal and comprehensive investment education and strengthens financial literacy for the underserved Hispanic market domestically and internationally. Israel was born in Mexico and has been living in the U.S. since 2014. He graduated from the University Tecnológico Monterrey with high honors. His entrepreneurial journey began with his brother and some friends while in college, which led to developing a fintech company, now known as IdeaCo. IdeaCo started in Mexico as an electronic payment service, then transformed into an electronic SaaS transactions platform. For those that don't know what SaaS is, it's software as a service. And he used this platform with banks, gas stations, and many more. Wow, Israel, you were in fintech before it became cool. Israel and Aaron, thank you for coming on to our show. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So today we're going to learn how Dinerazo emerged as a company, how it's educating, uplifting, and strengthening Hispanic and Latino communities so they can invest and grow. We will discuss the challenges Dinerazo has faced, are currently facing, while thinking about its role in shaping the future of fintech for Hispanics and Latinos. It's important for our Hispanic and Latino entrepreneurs listening today to hear about the benefits of fintech for achieving financial freedom. But before we dive into all of this, I wanted to ask Israel some quick and personal questions, better known as our Fast Five. Aaron, you participated in the Fast Five last time in the previous episode. Any parting advice to Israel? Uh, be honest and try not to think too much. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, so, let's do it. Let's go, Israel. What is one movie you can watch over and over and still enjoy? Uh, Wolf of, of uh, Wall Street, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my brother quotes that all the time. <laughs> Tell us about one of your visions for the fintech space that you and your peers don't always see eye to eye on. Everything is going to be integrated. The services are more accessible for, for fintech companies to create great uh, products for the consumers. Thank you. I look forward to hearing more about that. What is the first curse word in Spanish that comes to mind right now? <laughs> Pendejo. <laughs> I, I was thinking mierda immediately. <laughs> That's not a curse word. That's not a curse word. It's, it's only a human product. Yeah. <laughs> It's better than some of the other ones I was thinking of. <laughs> so in the year 2100, what will Latin America be using? Cryptocurrency or paper slash coin money? Crypto. Okay. And this last question is just for you. What's your favorite food to eat in Mexico City? Tacos. Woo! 
yeah. Well, what kind of taco? What kind of taco? A street taco. Uh, pastor taco because I can't mm-hmm. get here, here the, the, the original pastor taco. Yeah, and it's it's they're way more accessible. They're everywhere in Mexico City. You can get a good taco. It's super cheap compared to eating out here in the Bay Area. It's way overpriced. <laughs> awesome. So that was the Fast Five. Thank you for participating in that, Israel. And now that we got a chance to learn more about you on a personal level, and now we're going to learn about your journey. Describe the moment that you and Aaron both realized we need to create Dinerazo. Um, it was uh, during a, a course from uh, Miami-Dade College, uh, the, the, in fact, the Idea Center, Idea Center of uh, MDC, Miami-Dade College. During COVID, it was an entrepreneurship um, course. And um, this guy told us, okay, think about some um, industries, some services that you feel that are missing. And, and in fact, I began thinking, Hey, when I uh, used to live in Mexico, I never invested in the in the stock market because uh, they have always told us that the stock market is only for wealthy people. And that's right. If you think how many stock brokerage accounts are in Mexico and you divide into the, the, the number of uh, people that we are there, it's a small, small, small um, percentage. But then I saw that here in U.S., uh, many people are used to check their, their portfolio. And I asked them, hey, what are you doing? And they say, I am checking my 401k portfolio. And I said, really? So you know about the stocks? Uh, but all these people uh, were or uh, first generations or American native. So I began asking my friends, my Latino friends. And um, it was interesting that uh, they don't know very much about the stock market. And before COVID, I used to know Aaron and I told him, hey, I think that here we can have an interesting product for our community because uh, although I sold my company in Mexico, as, as you said, a fintech company, I didn't know how to, how to invest when I arrived to U.S. And it was uh, very interesting to see how this journey began be- between Aaron and then I told him, hey, we need like a compliance officer. And he said, ah, I know a guy that is arriving to Miami. And I told him, hey, let's start talk with him. Maybe, maybe he can teach us something about this. And then we found our fourth partner that, in fact, he was he used to be my lawyer, only my lawyer. And we began talking between the four of us. And in fact, Aaron was in the, in the night pitch when I presented uh, and all my, my companions presented our projects because it was an open platform from CIC Miami Venture Cafe. So th- there was Aaron and... Um, uh, I think that uh, we fall in love with, with this uh, idea from the beginning. And that's uh, how we began Dinerazo, to help, us, uh, to help all uh, our Latino community to be financially educated and help them uh, grow their, their, their investments, their money. That's awesome that it just kind of culminated from just meeting these people and then just seeing the culture, the, the, the difference in how Americans look at investing versus like the Latino community. So tell us a, a few issues that you're working to solve in the Hispanic community. You talked a little bit about that and we would love to hear about it in regards to like personal finance and investment. So when we look at the Hispanic market, more than anything, it's one of those, it's a massive market. It's a market that's very active. You know, there's over mm-hmm. 60 million people in the United States alone that are primarily Spanish speaking and use that as, you know, very day-to-day functional language. 
and they're underserved and they're underserved in, you know, a hundred ways. That's why there's so many startups, you know, specifically addressing all of these niche communities. And with us and with Israel in particular, he's, you know, this fintech and this Latino that exited and had the chance to move to the U.S. and saw that, you know, the financial system was way more accessible here, but it was more accessible to a community that didn't know how to access it. So it's kind of this weird little situation that the U.S. fell in. So from there, it was, how do we take something that we know is valuable, it's proven, it's helpful, it spans generations and really can contribute meaningfully to, you know, wealth overall? And how do we make it more practical to a community that does so much work based off of trust? I mean, if you had to think of the number one thing that goes within Latino communities, it's the referral. Oh, I have a cousin that works on cars. or I have a cousin that can help you with your paint or I have this or I have that. It's like it's very much about that kind of connection and trust. And we saw that this was missing in financial services. It was very much a how can we make money off of them, not how can we serve them and actually, you know, provide genuine value in that way. I remember that was like a, a big point that Israel and I were very passionate about because, of course, he came, you know, someone who exited in, you know, a wealthy individual moving from a foreign mm. country and myself, you know, a, a poor a poor guy from Arizona, both running into a lot of the same issues. And we're like, this isn't right. There's no mm. way that it's right for both of us to be running into this. And the fact that there's a market that doesn't help us, you know, this is a problem. Yeah, I have a, a follow up question. So how does receiving the right financial education enhance the goals you set for yourself and maybe your business? Well, because, uh, for example, in, in Mexico, you don't talk about money with your parents. It's like a, a, what they call a taboo. You, know, you never know the, the budget of the family. You never know how much your father is uh, earning. So it's a mystery. But if we teach our children about finance, about budgeting, I think that uh, we can help them not to get into debt. That's a big, big problem in mm -hmm. humans in general, okay? Because we al always spend more than we earn. So every month you are building debt, okay? And so, to, sorry, Israel, mm -hmm. to continue yeah. off of that, it's one of those people are making bad decisions and they don't know they're making bad decisions. It's one of those like getting a bad contract done by a lawyer. It's like you're kind of a victim to the lawyer because you don't know that the contract's bad until the issue comes due. In the same way, you know, Latinos are just making decisions, thinking they're informed when in reality they, they are not. And for us, we don't want to be prescriptive. We don't want to tell Latinos you have to do this or you have to do that. We simply want to say, here's what the game really is. Here's the real rules. Make any decision, you know, legally that you can. If you want to be super risky, be super risky. There's no issue with that. But do it from an informed place. Don't do it from a place of ignorance and not know that you're really, you know, digging a hole and then burying yourself in it versus people that maybe want to be more conservative and really want to say, hey, listen, I'm 18. I'm a conservative person. I'm not going to make I, my, the career that I love isn't going to yield tons of money. Anything I can do to start saving and investing now is going to help me later. That's a very different person, but both needs are valid. And it's one of those, we just want to make sure that whoever they are, they have the ability to do what it is that makes sense for them, not just do whatever the latest advertisement is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So run us through the product then. Like what, what is it? Why does it, how does it educate the Hispanic or Latino community? So how does it educate them and how does it prepare them to like build that wealth to start having financial literacy? 
Aaron, please tell uh, Antonio's uh, story. Yeah, That's, I was going to say. so. <laughs> please. <laughs> so I'll tell you what the product is, and then I'll tell you kind of very quickly where it came from. So the product is really kind of a three-legged stool. The main leg is very much education. It's free education. It's education by topic, so everything from banking and savings to education by structure, really taking people through kind of a series of building blocks, making them smarter within specific categories or more educated within specific categories, banking savings, budgets, you know, things that are a little bit kind of more, more meaty in terms of how much you actually have to know to make good decisions on them. So that was a big kind of start for us. The, the second phase is really uh, the kind of the second leg of the stool is this investment access. So many people don't invest because they just don't know. They don't know how cheap it really can be. They don't know how to set up simple solutions. They don't understand that there are very kind of risk-free or risk-less or risk-reduced ways to actually put money to work and allow them to engage in a market that could yield some returns if you look at the you know historics of it. And then number three was we didn't want to be an island, both within our own financial services or within the broader Hispanic community. We want to be an asset, something that can really, you know, move the needle in a, in a major way. And so we wanted to do this kind of bolt on of products and services that genuinely help things that are vetted, things that are thought through, not just kind of a, a dump of everything and anything e-commerce to, you know, clip a commission mm -hmm. off of, but very much here's some education that can help you and teach you topics. Here's access to putting some money to work. And here's a slew of products and services that we have vetted and trust that can help enable the decisions that you want to make. If you want to focus on your savings, we want to make sure that you have the right tools to help you know, do the savings, regardless if it's through us. Mm -hmm. And that kind of holistic flow, you know, we really think is going to be valuable. The education portion was actually started a number of years ago by one of our co-founders, the lawyer that Israel mentioned previously, his name's mm -hmm. Antonio. He released this education as a way to just help the Latino community because he used to work as a stockbroker and saw all the bad decisions that were kind of being made without this kind of education there. And basically overnight, as he wrote and wrote and wrote while still attending law school, he started generating fives and sixes and sevens of thousands of views and clicks a day from people that wow. were just drinking the knowledge and really needed it, you know, from all over the world. So it was kind of a, a clear need and a clear audience fit and a clear opportunity to genuinely make a difference, not just, you know, make some money. Yeah, and I, I like that mm -hmm. you say that. By the way, all in Espanol. Yeah, all yeah. in Spanish, oh, sp right? Spanish first. Uh, Spanish to first. To <laughs> todos hablamos Espanol. <laughs> sí. So si no entiendes lo que estamos diciendo, pues aprende Espanol porque... Todo, la, la economía va a ser español, va a ser latino, la, la, the marketing, all that is going to be Latino because what you guys are tapping into is really a, a, an important market, important group of people that, that have just haven't been as supported as they could be, right? Absolutely. And especially, mm -hmm. yeah, especially what you guys are saying. Now, something comes up when you were talking about giving them this, these sort of resources, these educational tools. Typically, what I know here, like in the United States is like, if you are wanting to, you know, bank with, you know, your typical banks like Chase, Bank of America, make an investment portfolio 401k, you need to make money to really get a financial advisor. And by the time you get a financial advisor, they're really giving you a cookie cutter portfolio that, that you're spending you a lot really of money learn. on. Yeah, you're, you're you nail it. Exactly. That's so the then, reason. Mm -hmm. So then what are you guys doing to help ensure that? Latinos, because a lot of us like we're very we can be frugal or we could be hesitant in like 
when a new product comes to try to help us, what are you doing to to capture them? Because let's be honest, um, sometimes Latino community we could be reserved and be like, "Guess so? What is that?" Like, I don't know. I don't know if I trust it yet. Like, what are you doing to make trust. sure you capture that, building that trust? Yes. What are you doing to build that trust? Um, first of all, of all is uh, what you said. I discovered personally. I discovered that uh, to have a financial advisor, you have to have at least twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars. And let's don't talk about uh, private banking here in U.S. So we thought, hey, come on, is there a solution between let's say one thousand dollars and twenty-five thousand dollars? And no, there's uh, there's no solution. Uh, there's for... acorns. A- there's like mm-hmm. things that kind of meet a broad generic need, but nothing mm-hmm. that actually offers you know just this gap of either you know broke some money and then some meaningful money and everybody goes automatically to you know the financial advisor phase of you know mm-hmm. some meaningful 5 10 20k all at once which can be a lot for a lot of people of course mm-hmm. and that's the space that we want to help people in that uh, area in that range through a fintech solution that is called a robo advisor in english it's called robo advisor that basically it's not a cookie cut. <laughs> no, not a not cookie cutter, a, yeah, not like mm-hmm, a general. Exactly. Mm. So it's a, like a, like an advisor, but uh, using technology, uh, basically. Mm. And is it like something that you're trying to get to maybe make this robo-advisor artificially intelligent? So that I was going to say, that that's part of the beauty of it, that it already is. So for us, well, what we wanted to do is we, we wanted to create something that was flexible enough to be appropriate for whoever wanted to access it. So people that are, you know, not very risk on very much conservative and where they want to allocate their money, but you know, they still want to put money in the game, right? They want to get started. So very the, the process of onboarding, which will skip all the major stuff. But the big thing is a questionnaire and a questionnaire that we go through and determine your risk appetite, determine your goals, determine your timeline, determine your comfort level, right? Because you could be 18, but if you're hyper conservative on how you spend your money, that's a very different portfolio than an 18 year old that has 15K in cash that they're looking to, you know, invest as aggressively as possible so they can get maximum return, right? Right. So our solution really, we um, are enabling our solution through a partnership with uh, a technology firm that develops strategies like this that has been doing this for you know years and years through a lot of different Mexican companies and a lot of banks and financial solutions you know in Mexico so for us it was kind of a very natural you know JV in in true sense of they have this amazing platform that can cater to so many people and we have this educational resource that can really bring a lot of value and build trust that will enable people to actually use and engage with not only the investment side but all you know all the products and the services and everything else that follows it's it's a really it's kind of one of those the opportunity within it could be massive you know as far as what it could really be or it could simply be the best education platform mm. enabling latinos both are a win both are a win yeah. and but really it's a question of what does our audience want what can we do how do we listen and kind of facilitate their path as best we can so we've talked about some of the wins and have described Dinerazo in more detail. What have been some of the most challenging obstacles, though, in starting your company? Uh, <laughs> I was, I'll throw one out there, Israel, and then you can, you, can, you can throw out another one. I think one of the hardest things is it's hard to really think about everything your customer, because you're writing a balance, right? Of You want to provide them with everything mm-hmm. you can, but not so much that they're overwhelmed right? You want to have a message, a narrative, something simple to get started, right? Robinhood started with, you know, zero commission trading. That was it. 
It wasn't about growth. It wasn't about articles and cool charts. It was just, you can do this for free, right? And there's value in that kind of simplicity of messaging. So for us, the one thing is, you know, this is a, an audience that needs a lot and we don't want to overwhelm them or intimidate them or scare them. We want to genuinely help. So one, finding that balance and then also realizing, you know, it's like I, I, I talk with people that work in healthcare and then they're like, man, this legal agreement is going to be like 25,000. I'm like, yeah, you're a doctor. Right. So it's expensive to do things when there's lots of compliance. Well, fin fintech is very mm -hmm. much the same. So all the technologies, all the investments, all the back ends, like this is a very kind of complicated integration system to deliver something so mm -hmm. simple of come learn, come invest, come act. Right. The front end looks you know, crystal clear, but all the technology and the thought that goes into bringing it in, a, in as seamless a way as we can, I think that's really where you know, the value comes in, but also just a lot of the headaches because it's about finding that balance. But Israel, I'm sure you have you know, <laughs> many more Yes, because that. as I uh, was telling you, um, basically you have to connect everything behind the curtains, right? So for the final user, it's only like clicking an app and say, ah, this is my portfolio. I'm doing well. Uh, that's it. No, <laughs> you don't imagine what's happening behind curtains. Or, for example, when you you pay at the supermarket, you don't know what's happening between that little thing called chip, the device that is in the cart, and all the process to get the, the balance, the authorization, etc., and get back that authorization so you can take your things. If, if anyone mm -hmm. can appreciate the back end, it's Israel because he did so much work in fintech and payments. I mean, his life was focused on seamless integration, which is one of the things that made me as, you know, a co-founder so excited to work with him because I'm like, this is someone that really knows how to deliver a smooth experience from a technology side because that was what his whole business was predicated on. Speed, accuracy, mm -hmm. making sure the partners are very, very good, very qualified. So it's like, <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of concerted efforts going on that may not always seem to seem intuitive at first. We may not always think of. And at the same time, I like, Aaron, what you said about providing a narrative so folks aren't overwhelmed. A lot of what I do in my work is trying to cater to our target audience, which is young people. So I know how careful you have to be about providing engaging content, but getting right to the point and not sounding too technical because you could really lose your audience quickly. So speaking of the narrative and philosophy, on the website, there's a statement that says rebalance and stay the course. So tell the audience what you mean by this. So that's a, that, that's a little funny. Uh, uh, it's almost an inside joke. So the, the portfolio strategy, if you had to break it down to very kind of simply what it does, is that every month it rebalances, but it just rebalances with very complex weighting in mind. So accuracy and movement and fit and growth rates and whatever you know kind of you said it to be so for us if, if you're engaging with us once a month you're hitting a moment of zen because you're automatically going to hit some sort of rebalance so for us it's one of those the the movement of don't mm -hmm. save invest which of course you know you want to do a bit of both to make sure you've got a rainy day you know little nest egg but you also want to make sure that your money isn't just an anchor mm -hmm. sitting in the bank right so for us, that kind of act of rebalancing is an act of, you know, action. It's about making a positive movement that has the ability to change your life. Not overnight, you know, this is not a, a Dogecoin <laughs> run. This is not a, you know, a Reddit stock, you know, purchase. This is, we want to take you from A to B and B could be 20 years with, from now. With the power well, let's get there. exactly of compound interest. 
as uh, Jonathan was uh, saying. So this is not a yeah. 30 minutes uh, game. It's not a 30 minute, 30 months uh, game. It's maybe a 30 years game, and you will see the power of compound interest. Yeah, something comes up. What I think about when you both are talking about Dinarazo is social entrepreneurship. I think that's great because I've had a couple entrepreneurs on the show talk about what they're doing to really help their their people, their stakeholders, which are the people that they're serving. Um, and then sometimes some entrepreneurs want to take on that role, but maybe they're not educated enough in how, well, I don't have enough money. Like, I want to do something good for the people. Mm-hmm. Do I file as a nonprofit or am I in an LLC? Like, how do I file? Because... I don't know if like investors or angel investors, will they give me money to do something for people that's absolutely free? How are you all managing that and being able to like finance some of that for your business? And if you can give any advice that's to those a, that want to do Aaron, something. That's uh, Aaron's space. So go for it. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say, because we actually looked mm-hmm. at a nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we looked at it for us and, and we spoke to nonprofit directors and we did the whole nine yards because very much, you know, person focused, how can we bring maximum value in this way? And what I find is people are almost nervous to make money. As silly as it sounds, you know, they feel guilty about, you know, charging for value. But if you're genuinely providing value, then that's just an exchange. It's no different than buying an apple at the grocery store, right? It's just you're on the receiving side Mm. and you've never owned a store, right? But the store doesn't feel guilty because it has to buy the product to do it. And neither should you in that way. So for us, it's, it's a very simple of, I meet a lot of founders and I talk to a lot of people that want their business to do well. And they say, you know, to hell with the money. And it's like, that's great. But eventually a bill comes due because you want to have people at the office. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to pay the lease. And if you want to have people come to lunch, you, someone's got to put down their card. So for us, it's very much about being practical. So from the Dean and perspective, we want to, in every way that we can avoid charging kind of the customer high fees or many fees on the front end. Because that's not really the goal of it. The goal is to facilitate. Kind of like Google doesn't charge you a credit card fee when you log on, but they are kind of charging you money by subjecting you to ads and whatnot. On the other side, you know, because that's the fair deal that they make with you. We'll let you search for free. We're going to show you some stuff mm-hmm. that people pay. And that's the exchange that we do. And the same way for Dinaraso, it's very much a push of how can we bring the most value in the free sense but also by providing value and having them act and invest and utilize services that genuinely move them forward, we make revenue on the back end through the people that are engaged, right? So it's one of those, we wanted to find a good balance. And I think that's what many entrepreneurs should strive for. It's not about being perfect. It's Mm -hmm. about being fair. And if you have a fair deal on the table, if somebody doesn't like fair, then you know, that's very much a them thing, not a you thing. But if you go out there every day and do fair deals and bring a lot of value to your target customer in the way that they want, right, then you can do so much and there's no reason you shouldn't hopefully make some money. And it doesn't matter if it's a profit, non-profit, LLC, Inc., uh, sole proprietary. It doesn't matter. At the end, please work together uh, with uh, somebody that knows finance, like in my case with Aaron, and uh, find the business, the, business, uh, the business case. Because if it can be paid by itself, maybe it's not uh, worth the the effort. 100%. And and Jonathan, you said something uh, before about the social side. It's so funny because it's like, I don't know how you could build a startup, you know, a a consumer facing startup, B2C, any other way. And what I mean by that is when I talk to people and we talk to startups and we have interviews with other founders that we know just to understand, you know, stay focused. 
the two questions that always come up that people, you know, seem to want to check for their business is one, can I do it? Meaning, is it even possible? And then two is, do people want it? Because everything else is basically supply chain. Find the right lawyers, find the right operations, find the right team to execute, find the right marketing. But if it can be done and people want it, then mm -hmm. it's just a question of if you're the one to do it, right? I mean, it's like how many thousands of people thought of Uber and then one guy named Travis decided to, you know, get to work. So in that kind of same way, it's very much uh, the, the action part of it and that staying connected to your end user from like the social perspective feels, it feels like a, uh, the elephant in the room that for some reason, you know, everybody wants to talk about marketing, but nobody wants to say, how many users have we talked to this month? Because if we have no, we know that, then all of a sudden we can just take that and bring that in and use that to inform our value going forward, which is how, at least how we want to kind of be as best we can. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of that quote when people say like, if you love the work that you're doing, the money will come. That That's right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In fact, in my previous company, when always people ask me, ah, why do you do this? I do this because it's like a hobby. If I like, I like what I do. And by the way, they pay me, my clients pay me for doing it. So it was really my passion. And then the second quote, and this one is from uh, E.T. Eric Thomas. I have to give a shout out to him. He's like a motivational speaker, but it's like, you got to want it as bad as you want to breathe. But there was another part of it. It was like, you will not be successful at what you're doing until nobody has to give you a dime to do what you want to mm -hmm. do. That's when you'll be successful. And it's like at that point where money is not even a thing of value to you. It's just like, wow, I'm changing people's lives truly. Yes, I can get money in the future because I need to bring food to the table, pay the bills, right? But for those that are really successful in what they want to do, it gets to that point where you have to want it so bad that you don't even have to get paid a dime to do what you want to do. Uh, completely. And I think it's one of those things where you go, are you starting a business to make money or to provide value? Because I can guarantee if you do one of those things, the other becomes very, very easy. And if you pursue the other one, you know, the money first, then depending on how good you are and depending on how well you really know your stuff, it's going to be a lot harder, right? But value, the only thing you do is it's value first and then send the invoice effectively. But, but, but if it, a, a lot of people, you know, they, they want to talk dollars before they talk, you know, customer demand. And, and for us, it's why we're working very hard for surveys and engagement because mm -hmm. we need to know what they want. And, you know, I'm one of, you know, millions of people that are like me. And I know that my situation could be very unique or it could be exactly commonplace with everybody else. And I don't want to assume one way or the other. I want to assume that these are my customers. These are the people that we want to help. Now let's get to work, you know, in whatever form that takes. Yeah, because, for example, if uh, Latinos want uh, to learn about crypto and they tell us, hey, we want to learn crypto. Okay, let's give financial education about crypto, for example, in Spanish. Let's create courses. Let's create online stuff, you know, things that are accessible and things that can bridge that early gap, right? A lot of people struggle to, you know, get the early money for their business or the early this or the early that. We want to be that ultra early education where you walk out of high school and you're like, well, I've uh, balanced a few checkbooks, but that doesn't really tell me anything else. It's like, we know. Let's get started. Let's take you through the stuff. And, you yeah, know, like a loan you for, for your home. You, you need like, uh, the credit score. I, I didn't know that I needed a credit score. So how I, I build my credit score? If I, if I just arrived to US, okay. So if, if you see, you have to go back to, to understand all of this so you can move forward. 
that's our main objective. Here. Yeah, I think providing that foundational knowledge is the way you empower the Hispanic community, right? It's let's take a step back, see what maybe misconceptions you have about investment and finances, and let's just rework that. And then that will inform the next steps you take. So I wanted to segue and ask, what does the future of financial education and investment look like for the Hispanic community on a global scale? And how will Dinerazo shape this future you have in mind? I was going to say, it looks like Dinerazo in just a couple of years. <laughs> I was going to say, but I think, I'll, I'll just to kind of kick off, I think it's distributed. That's the easiest one. I think it's, you know, we're... The, the artificial lines that a bunch of people that we don't know drew on a map, you know, hundreds of years ago has very little to do with how people live today, right? In terms of, you know, how they want to connect different cultures, different this, but the reality is, you know, we're, we're one people and, you know, as, as, you know, globally, but also within our communities, you know, the Hispanic community and this and that. And I think for us, it's really about working in as many markets as we can and offering as specific a solution and a specific education as we can with those. But that kind of distributed nature of it all is going to make education specifically, but also, you know, finances broadly, I think just way more distributed and accessible for the, especially the, the Latino market, which seems to be leaning in as much as they can, partly because they're curious and also partly because there's a lot of turmoil. You know, there's a lot of turmoil in, in our culture and in our countries. And that's, you know, some of it's our mm -hmm. fault and some of it's not our fault, but either way it's there mm -hmm. and it's driving people to, you know, do what they do, what they uh, can. And, and now you can't say, I don't know nothing about finance because at the end, everything is finance. So when, when you decide, okay, uh, I'm, I'm, am I going to use this gas station or this other one? Uh, you're thinking in saving money. If uh, you say, okay, uh, electric car or, or gasoline car. Now you have to make the, the, the calculations and say, ah, okay, I'm going to, to spend uh, this in electricity against this in, in uh, gasoline. So everything, if you think it, about it, it's uh, finance, but uh, we, don't, we don't want to call it finance. <laughs> Do you see? I think that's, that's great. And I, one thing I want to bring up for our listeners, especially because they come from all different backgrounds, shapes and sizes. I want to, uh, I want Richard, if he can, or whoever feels comfortable, uh, the difference between a Latino and a Hispanic, because that's obviously something that we're throwing around back well, and it's, forth. Hispanic is from uh, Spain, right? It, it means that uh, it's from the other continent. And la Latino is from la Latam, from Latin America. And remember, Latinx is because in that way you don't have to say Latino or Latina. I think Latinx is for the Americans. Because uh -huh, exactly. all the Hispanics all the, all the uh -huh. and Latinos just go, as long as you don't assume we're all Mexican, that would be awesome. If you could just start there, that would be amazing. That's funny. Just take a guess. Just say I'm Venezuelan just for the hell of it. You know, might as well. At least you got the right continent this time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Miami is uh, full of different cultures and from uh, different countries. So it's a very interesting um, combination of different LATAM, Latin American people, that uh, we are creating a, a different uh, environment. Yeah, and something that Miami I think employee. folks may not, may not seem as obvious because we tend to generalize about other ethnic and racial groups is there's a lot of diversity within Latin America, 
but then Espana, if you, if you go across to Europe. So how does that inform maybe how you prepare content for your audiences? Because someone who's living maybe in Lima, Peru, may look at something and be viewing it differently from someone who lives in Guadalajara in Mexico. So what do you have to keep in mind when you're, you're designing your information? Yeah, that, that's why we're going to begin with uh, the financial um, American system. And then uh, we'll uh, go to other countries and make a partnership also with uh, people that uh, know about local financial system. Okay. That's yeah. uh, how we are going because to Because I think that, there's a uh, lot of content out there and a lot of knowledge that's, you know, evergreen in the sense that budgeting is budgeting. You know what I mean? Yes, the tax bracket and the this mm-hmm. and the that and the whatever. It's like, fine. But to think through, to plan ahead, to understand forecasting, to understand expectations, to understand life goals and segments that are going to change needs. There's a lot of those things, whether it's, you know, budgeting, savings, understanding the financial institutions of your country, not necessarily even the specifics, but hey, you should know the banks, what your version of a credit union is if there's out there, what level of government assistance for financial education and whatnot is available as well. You know, there's different things that are kind of universally relevant or kind of checklists that can be used to engage. So for us in the beginning, you know, we have a very targeted focus within the U.S. and Mexico because we don't want to go and shotgun blast and do like everybody else does <laughs> and assume that, oh, mm-hmm. they're Hispanic, you know, rice and beans, they'll be fine. Like, we're good. <laughs> like, like it's, 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 it's one's black and the other's pinto. It's good. It's like, no, that's not true. There's very specific needs to every single culture mm-hmm. and so much diversity within the culture. I mean, if, even if you look at the genre of, of Hispanics in the U.S., we have Hispanics here that are, you know, very dark skinned. We have very, we have Hispanics here that are, that look like white people that are like blonde hair and blue eyes. Mm-hmm. So even from a visual perspective, which of course plays into a lot of your life experience, there's totally different avenues that Hispanics who could have lived miles away from each other locally could, could experience, much less spanning continents, the equator, you know, different, uh, different uh, governing systems and everything else. Yeah, that, I think this is a great segue to our next form of questions, which we talk about leadership. And this is for, for both you and, and uh, Aaron. So what strengths do Latino entrepreneurs bring to the startup and fintech space? I think the, the easiest one is we are an innovative people. There, somehow, we're, we're all born MacGyvers, it feels like, because the ability for us to try to, to experiment, to see what works, and really to, whether we do it publicly, because of course, Latinos have a big thing of peer pressure in the family and the this and the that, whether we do it publicly or privately, there's a lot of innovation. I think of someone like my dad. My dad was somebody who used a cricket wireless phone and did tile work all his life. And then one day he shows up with like a nine inch wide screen of, a, of an Android. And I'm like, what is that? And he goes, I don't know. The, the kid at the store sold it to me. And he learned how to use it. This is a guy that didn't know how to have an email, but he knew how to use all parts of his Android phone because he was willing to be foolish. He was willing to sit there and mess with it enough until he learned what he needed to. And I think just it's such a small little thing, but that ability to try, to risk failing, to risk looking silly, that's where the growth happens, right? And that's where I think it's a huge kind of just a latent thing that it seems like the Latin culture broadly has within us, that that little bit of, eh, to hell with it, I'm going to give it a go. And and all of a sudden, you know, things start happening. And and I also think that because of, of our economies in, in LATAM, 
we have less resources. So for example, in Mexico, in my case, I used to drive a, a little two-door car. So if something failed in the car, in the motor, I will open the hood and try to, to solve it. But uh, here it's like, uh, I know the, the dealer can solve it. No, 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 that's very expensive here. And in, in Mexico, I, I used to fix my own car because you don't have so much uh, resources. Uh, and that's why we bring this entrepreneurial mm. new innovation to yeah, the system. Yeah, a lot of Latinas. Since we came out of the womb, we were bred to be innovative, you know? Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it had to be. Had it had to be clever. And it's also, you know, not to get too meta, but it's also you guys as well. I mean, you're starting a podcast and you have so many people. You're already on your second season. Like, you're moving through things. And it's like, I don't know if you took a course, but I don't think you took a course. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think you guys just got after it. And you started trying and you were willing to look a little silly because guess what? Who cares? And yeah. now you're on epi- you now you're on whatever episode and here we are. And hopefully the audience members and the listeners are getting true value because two people were willing to struggle to Google mics, to understand video setups, to get things done so that they could benefit. And oh how how thankful they are or they should be that two people were willing to to feel a little silly at times, I'm sure. And it's like that little that little thing. I just think it's so valuable. Thank you. Yeah, because that's the that's the easiest way to empower yourself, essentially, right? If you know that whatever it is, I'm gonna figure it out. Yeah, I'll struggle through it. Yeah, I'll I'll hit a few walls, but I'm eventually going to get to a point where I know what I'm doing. So that's how we empower ourselves. And as an entrepreneur, what are some ways you stay inspired slash Think of new and exciting business ideas. You have to love what you do, basically. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's uh, going uh, every day to your restaurant and fix some pastor tacos, or if uh, it's a tech company, you have to love what you do. And if I can give an advice to your, to your audience, try it. Try it. I can assure you that you will fail maybe five, eight, ten times, but keep trying. Don't, don't stop trying because uh, maybe in the 11, 12th try, you will achieve it. I, I think that's a big one. I think it's also really important to stay kind of grounded in your community. And that doesn't mean, you know what I mean, go back to your old neighborhood every single weekend. But it just means stay true to yourself in whatever form that is and whatever way that is. You know what I mean? Whether it's, you know, true you today or true you, you know, from years ago. But being in an ivory tower, you know what I mean? Whether it's because you think your startup is great or you think that, you know, your business is so complex and so fancy. It's like that doesn't help anybody, right? What helps is community. What helps is learning. What helps is helping each other get through it. Because getting to the top of a mountain and having nobody else around doesn't really seem like that much of a fun time to me. You know what I mean? So I think there's there's tremendous value in, in kind of being a part of the community and that kind of reciprocity that happens naturally with entrepreneurs to inspire each other, help each other through a problem or, you know, make a connection that we otherwise wouldn't have had. Because so much of it is an accountability push almost where it's, you know, it's, it's hard to do the thing. It's way easier to not do something than it is to do something, right? So having people around you that are constantly doing things is a great way to be like, you know, you're the sum of the five people around you. Well, if every time I walk into a room, everybody's launching companies, it's like, well, soon enough, I'm going to start getting busy. And all of a sudden, you know, things start moving forward. Yeah, thank you for saying that, Aaron, because I think a good message to our audience 
as entrepreneurs is show up as yourself, right? Don't show up being someone that you think everyone wants to see you in this light or be this because everything, who you are is going to inform those decisions. So you just need to tap into who you are and be proud of that. I think as Hispanics and Latinos, you just have to go in and be proud of who you are because that's what people want to see. It does no one's any service if you're showing up as someone else you're not. <laughs> Absolutely. And and it's, and it, yeah. And it's like, it feels like a little superpower that we have, but it's like, it feels like most Latinos that I meet, you know what I mean? And obviously every, every culture and every group of people has their introverts, but we're social friendly people. Even the introverts are well liked within their own groups. So it's like, use that skill of, you know, engaging, whether it's culture and food, whether it's interests and friendship, whether it's jokes and laughter, like it doesn't really matter. It just matters that you're showing up. And it sounds so silly, but showing up really is like, I, I wouldn't even say it's half the battle. It's more than half the battle. Because the fantastic things that can happen just because you bump into somebody, you have no idea, but you have to be there first in order for it to happen. Yeah, well, th thank you. Thank you both for being on the show today. Tell our listeners how they can reach out to you if they have questions on being an entrepreneur in this field and what support and resources are available in financial education. Well, uh, you can reach us uh, through email, obviously. In my case, it's Israel, only the, the name, at Dinerazo with Z, uh, Dinerazo, uh, com. Uh, Aaron? Yeah, I was going to say my email is Aaron at Dinerazo.com. And by the time this goes up, I, we invite everybody to check out the website, send us some feedback. We'll have a contact form up there. Reach out. If we can help, if we can connect, you know, we want to help. We want to be a value to our community. If people have ideas or they wonder, hey, I wonder if they're going to do this. Send us a message. Let us know. Because if you tell us, then we just might. So, you know, we, we really just want to keep the door open for communication. And there is no ivory tower here. There's just a, a group of people, you know, looking to help as best we can. Wonderful. And for the people listening, it's going to be on the notes section of wherever you're listening to podcasts. I'll be there to drop their website and also their, uh, their contact, uh, email contact information. So you all can find it there. Yeah. Thank you once again, Israel and Aaron. Thank you for telling all, us all about Dinerazo. And for our audience, try, try, try. That was one of the, the main takeaways. And for those tuning in, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. Come on, it doesn't hurt. Leave us some feedback. We'd love to read about it. Support your community. <laughs> we, we love feedback. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.